0: It always comes back to being connected to our heart, and what I suggest to people is they literally put their hands on their heart and they feel the beating of their heart, so they can get connected to this part of them—the only place where we can be centered, where we can be at peace and with joy. For me, it's always you know when shit happens, coming back to my heart, coming back to my heart, listening to my heart, having a good conversation with my heart, having my heart be my best friend, because ultimately. That's where I wanted to be. I wanted to be my best friend. So I nurture that relationship.
1: Hey, everybody, John Chisholm here. Welcome to the All the Best podcast. It's my own special blend of motivation and devotion designed to help you find all the best in life. I just believe there's always a way to make your life better. I want to help you get there. Nothing's going to be off limits in this show. We're going to talk to amazing people from all kinds of backgrounds, beliefs, and points of view. We're going to be bringing you insights, advice, and inspiration to guide you into the coolest chapters of your life and maybe help you actually enjoy your time here on planet earth so buckle up kids this is gonna be fun Hey everybody welcome to the show my guest today is a successful coach corporate speaker and author from the gold coast in australia named bill lee Emery. bill has perfected the art of following his heart and he's been clerking since his 30s yes you heard me correctly clerking is a concept that he's going to unfold for you in our conversation you don't want to miss that we have a lot of fun Bill's got over 40 years of working with national and international corporations and businesses. He's coached world-class skydivers, cyclists, triathletes, golfers, and thousands of individuals just like you who want to succeed in life. Bill has distilled his knowledge and experience into a series of books that have just one goal, and that's to help people become better versions of themselves. His latest book is called How to Be Bulletproof from Criticism, which is a topic we all need in today's cancel culture and internet trolling. Those people are so mean. Well, Bill says it's never too late to be a legend, and it's never too late to be five years old again. He's a lot of fun, and we laugh a lot in this episode. I bet you will, too. So please meet my new best friend all the way from the Gold Coast of Australia, Bill Lee Emery. Bill,
0: good to have you on the show. It's this an sh- visiting, pleasure to be here, and um, I've never been to Nashville,
1: but if I do get to the States, that's on my bucket list. You've got to, man. We got to hang out a bit together. I've just been enjoying researching you. the The first time I saw your bio, I thought, this is a kindred spirit. I've got to have Bill on the show, and you're All the way down and under in Queensland on the Gulf. uh, Yes. Well, we do actually have something like 27 golf courses here for any of
0: your listeners. So we are kind of, you know, addicted (laughs) to golf here on the Gulf Coast, but
1: it is the Gulf Coast
0: in Queensland.
1: Well, we've always wanted to go. We just haven't made it there yet, but we're going to look you up all the way over. Well, I want to get right into the show today because I know you're going to drop some amazing content on us today. And we're going to talk. Uh, about your new book, we're going to talk about a whole lot of things. But yeah, I, I just want to start here. Tell me why it's never uh, too late to become a legend. Because you know, I was talking to a friend about something called
0: the second wind, and the second wind. You know, if you're an athlete, you know what this is. You know, you're in a race and you get exhausted. You hit the wall, and then if you go past that, you get your second wind. And in athletics, it's a well-known phenomenon. But it's also well-known in life. So pe- people get to 45 or 50, they often will hit the wall, life will fall apart, but then they keep on going, because there's something saying, hey, there's still war in you, if you're still alive, if you're still breathing, there's some part of your creative nature that wants to be expressed in the world. And so, in that sense, it's never too late to be a legend, it's never too late to be a five year old, which is my ultimate dream, is to mm. live my life as a five year old with some adulting going on in the background. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us a little more about that. I've, I've not heard anybody so, so, so old, well. Like if a you look at little kids, five year olds, they have got so much energy. They, If you could plug them into the electricity grid, they can light up a city. They are full of curiosity, wonder, amazement. They look at things with fresh eyes. They have got so much energy. It's just like, Wow, where did that come from? Well, that just comes from them being uninhibited, being themselves, not caring too much about consequences, but just being alive, being affectionate, being emotional, whatever it might be. And if you look at, you know, I know some people in the 80s and 90s, and they've still got that mischievous glint in their eye. They've still got a sense of humor, they've mm-hmm. still got this mm-hmm. life force which is pulsing through them. And I've seen people in their 20s that have got glazed over and now they're, you know, what's the point? What am I here for? And they're kind of spiraling down. So, you know, um, someone many years ago, this is a new word, and this is one of my mentors when I was uh, going back 40 years. And I was looking at the world as it was and people doing a nine-to-five job. I'm going, I don't want to do that. It just looks so boring and bland and beige, and I don't want to do that stuff. And he gave us a word which is spelled P-L-E-R-K, plerk. So this is not something that happens after a good party on a Saturday night. That's a difficult word. So the, the, the P-L stands for play or pleasure. Because if we're not doing something which is bringing us joy and happiness, then what the heck? What are we doing? So if life isn't full of playing, mm-hmm. uh, isn't it? for the pleasure the things that brings us alive, then what are we doing? The the RK stands for the work better of you know paying mortgages and paying bills and being an adult. But the, the E stands for excitement sure. enthusiasm, effort, energy, all those things that make life worthwhile. So i quit working when I was in my early thirties. I thought I'm never going to work again. And I've been perking ever since, which is been really? finding things that I love to do and following that path, letting my heart lead me, rather than my head going, this is what you should be doing, letting my heart lead, and that's <laughs> one of the secrets of course to life is to let your heart lead, and then uh, allowing life to open up in a way that really helps me align with myself with myself and myself with the world.
1: That's amazing. Now, uh, did you that you say you've
0: been twerking <laughs> since you're thirty. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think twerking was rat thirty years ago. <laughs> uh, uh,
1: I, I tried yeah. to twerk once, man, and when I got <laughs> off the floor, it was it was, yeah, yeah. It was yeah. not a pretty sight. So, but well, what an interesting thing. I mean, to to pull play back yeah. into our adult lives, you know, and to really look at life from a child's eyes and. I'm I'm kind of amazed at what you said a moment ago. I mean, children don't really care all that much about consequences, at least not in the moment. How do we as adults get to the point where we can cast off that tremendous, you know, weight of worry about every moment not counting and every moment not leading yeah, to so a certain can, yeah. outcome? You know,
0: as Sheila beings, we can make life more complex than it is. We can overanalyze everything that we're doing and making sure that it's, quote, perfect. It's like finding the things that bring you joy and using your adult thinking to plan, organizing, so you can do all those things. So my goal is, as a five-year-old is to have as much fun as I can in life without getting in too much trouble.
1: That's just such a fascinating concept, you know, to get that joy back in life. And even over the last couple of years with the global pandemic mm, it's mm. mental health and people's just sense of who they are and their ability to to do what they want to do or you know everything has been so threatened it's been so challenged you know to have that kind of a perspective and so how do you maintain that kind of childlike spirit even in the midst of global yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, crazy stuff i've had some really good mentors in my life people that have guided me, helped me explore certain things. And one of the most important concepts came from a man called John Barnaby, who was one of my early mentors. And he taught me about a model called uh, transactional analysis. And one Saturday morning, he put up on the flip chart. He said, life is meaningless. And we're going, what do you mean life is meaningless? John, we're here to find, you know, what's going on. And you're telling us it's meaningless. And what he explained to me was probably one of the most important concepts that I think, that I can give to your, your listeners, and it's, it's this, it's a really basic one, but it's so important. So he wrote the word event in the middle of the flip chart, and he said, every day we have thousands of events in our life, in the day, thousands. In our lifetime we have millions of events, from birth to death and everything in between. So let me take a very simple uh, idea just to explain this concept. So let's say I'm walking down the street and I see a friend of mine and I wave hello and they don't reply. They walk straight past me. Now that's simply an event. In and of itself, it means nothing. It's innocent is probably the better word that I can use is innocent. But in nanoseconds, I'll place a meaning on that event. How can he ignored me? What's wrong with me? Is there something? Doesn't he like me? Oh gosh, maybe he's never liked me. Hey, maybe maybe no one ever likes. Well, maybe no one has ever liked And I can crank it up until it's World War III inside of my head. So that's one potential meaning. But the other meaning I could put on that event is he looks really distracted, not really present. I'll check with him later on today. So same event, two different meanings. And he said, whatever mm. meaning I place on that event becomes my reality. And he said, every meaning that we place on every event is always, always self chosen. So I choose whether it's A, B, or C, or D. I choose. And then this is the kicker. And he said, it doesn't matter whether the meaning that you're making is true or not. He said, the biggest question. Is is the meaning that I'm making useful or not? So if you take Mm. what's been happening in the last two years, Mm. there have been some tragic things that have happened all the way around the world, and there have been some tragic things that have been happening in people's individual lives. And if you can take that concept, that principle, and go, okay, if something happens, I am responsible for my connection to the meaning that I'm making. And if I am if I'm asleep, then I will allow the default meanings from my whole past life to run me. I've become a puppet to my past, if you like. Or if I can wake up and go, mm. all right, what's the meaning that I'm placing on this? Otherwise, what happens? I can suffer for the rest of my life because of something that someone said to me and it can even be an innocent thing but i can be suffering and suffering and suffering and i can even help other people suffer around me and if i'm really smart i can help my whole generation pit itself against another family make them all wrong and this is when you can get intergenerational trauma
1: oh my goodness that is so rich uh, so so we really do have a lot of control over how we, we, do. We, we assign meaning and then how the effects, even into generational effects. Someone said that pain is part of life. and you, We're not going to escape, escape pain,
0: but suffering is an uh, additional extra. And, and, and some people are like, <laughs> yeah, you know, I've had experiences in my life in, in primary school, circumstances that both shaped my life. But when I look at, back at them, Both things were said to me innocently, but I made meaning of both of those circumstances and they shaped my entire life. Well, for 40 years until I went hanging. So I still need this Mm. one. So it's like we can be awake. (laughs) Being awake is easy. Staying awake saying in your consciousness, man, that's, that's the hero's journey, which we kind of talked about,
1: that's the thing that we all Isn't have. is It's staying away. Yeah. Yeah. We, it, 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 yeah. It, uh, well, it, re- it reminds me of a couple of things. Pema Chodron, who is a, a Buddhist monk S, I don't know if they're called monks or monk but she was the first one that I heard talk about letting go of the things that no longer serve me. And whether you do that through meditation or through prayer, or just some kind of, of discipline that you practice in your daily life, that, that can be really hard when your personality is so entrenched in the pain. Eckhart Tolle talks about the the pain body and how so many of us have lived out of that identity for so long that we're, we're just outright afraid, terrified to let it go because oh, then dude, who would we be wow, any yes. longer, right? And I think that's kind of what you're addressing here is, is kind of uh, coming into a clarity and a higher consciousness about those things that you've assigned negative meaning and, and somehow letting them go. One of my favorite
0: processes to go with, through with my coaching class is around forgiveness. Now, forgiveness is a gift we give to our hearts, but our head brain and our gut brain are all involved in this. So our head brain can be the part of us that makes up meetings, what about this, or what about this, It can go around, 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 and we can spin forever inside of our head. And what our heart wants to live from is peace and joy and connection to ourselves and to you know whatever we deem to be higher than ourselves individually. But it's our gut brain, the enteric brain, is where we tend to hold on to things. So when we hold on to a grudge, when we hold on to jealousy, when we hold on to meanness, when we hold on to bitterness, it's our gut brain, our body, poor dear body, gets to be the vehicle for all the things we hang on to, our grudges, and meanness, whatever. And forgiveness, when I'm working with forgiveness, you know, we connect to the heart, we connect the do a whole bunch of things around that. But the last part of letting go is when the gut brain goes, I'm over this. We draw a line in the sand and the gut brain. Mm. And in traditional Chinese medicine, the heart is the emperor or the empress. The head brain is the governor, the organizer, and the gut brain is the general. It's The job of the gut brain and the head brain is to serve the heart. And so part of the, the general is going, I'm going to hang on to my claim for revenge. <laughs> and when we let go of our claim for revenge, our invoice to God or whatever you want to call that then our gut brain can let go, and then our heart can have peace. But if our gut brain's still hanging on to that, you did this, I've got to get you back kind of stuff, then our heart cannot feel peace because our general, the gut brain, is doing too good of a job. It needs to be given a new job description. Say, hey dude, this is what you do, and when my heart wants to be more open, you need to let go of that shit, quite literally.
1: Well, agreed, I mean, but how do you do that? I mean, is it through uh, contemplation, meditation? Is it through just a decision of your will? So if you think about a head brain, a
0: heart brain, a gut brain, these three major intelligences which every ancient wisdom for the last 60,000 years at least have recognized and neuroscience is kind of getting them together. So they all have different roles and when they understand what their roles are, they can behave accordingly. But I like to have the idea of a tripod, like the first stable unit in the universe is three. If you think of a stool, a three-legged stool, a two-legged stool won't do it. So three is the first stable in mathematics and physics and biology, three is the first stable number, if you like. So they all have to work in agreement, they can't be battling each other. So they need to come to an agreed it's time for more peace. It's time for more love. It's time for more openness. And so when they had this agreement, they work together collaboratively. That's part of the coaching process that I do anyway. But it's like they got to be on the same page.
1: Uh, that's amazing. It makes me think about, you know, there's kind mm. of a perverted pleasure yep. in being a victim, yes. in angry, yep. in holding that grudge. There's just some kind of weird payoff that, you know, that we get. And whether it's in a, a small offense or it's railing against the government or the president or whoever's in charge or even your boss or it, it, it's yeah. like it, we it's can be addictions. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. self Yeah. you know,
0: like you're right, the other person's wrong. So you got to have someone who's wrong and you've exactly. got someone that's
1: right. you got to have an enemy. Yeah. If you're going to be right, you know, you, you're self-righteous. You've got to have someone to point the finger at. Yeah. Everyone yeah. needs a devil, right? And <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it also kind of reminds me, a friend of mine uh, talks about a contrived uh, despair. Uh, uh, yes. I love that phrase. Yes. because, And I, I've been so guilty of that, Bill, through my adult life of always projecting Out of the present moment into, oh my God, if I don't get something done today, if I don't get this email out, if I don't get this marketing done, if I don't get a new client, if I don't do this, we're going to hell (laughs) in about 10 minutes. And right. And then my peace is gone, my joy, my sense of presence, my authority, my sense of just who I am. And, and as Eckhart so aptly says, you know, I just kind of go unconscious and I have to keep a million times a day, pulling myself back into a sense of consciousness. And I love what you said about, you know, this, this enlightened consciousness that liberates the human spirit. And we're in, we're in deep kimchi, man. (laughs) She's got a lot, right? Am I right? Uh, you
0: know, being bulletproof from, from criticism is in two places. One is dealing with the inner critic, and the other one is dealing from criticism from outside. But the inner critic is the one for most people, which is around most of the time. And so you kind of wonder so, what's the inner critic about? What's it there for? Another way I like to frame this up is why do parents nag their kids to do their homework? Well, they nag their kids because they want their kids to do well at school. So, what do they want their kids to do well at school? Well, maybe they'll go to university or they get the kind of education that they'd really like. So, why do the parents care about whether their kids go to university and get a good job? Well, if you boil it all down, parents want their children, and I'm talking, this is a huge generalization, of course, but generally, parents want Trevor, their kids right. to have a good life. And the reason they want their kids to have a good life is because they love them. But when a teenager is being nagged by a parent, are they going, oh, thank you, mum and dad. I know you're nagging me, because you want me to do really good, get good grades, so I can have the kind of life that I really want. Hey, I'm so grateful for that. No, they don't hear that. They don't feel that. All they feel is criticism. So the criticism has a positive intention, but the way it's being delivered is received in a negative way. If the child was to understand the positive intention behind the criticism, and the parents had better ways of giving feedback to their teenager, then they can be, have a very, very different relationship. So part of behind every person's inner critic, there's a positive intention. Now, if you decide to do that in a journey and find out what's the inner intention of my my internal critic? Then that's where the goal is. So, in part of my work is helping people to turn their inner critic into their best friend, and that changes the whole mm. ball game completely.
1: It really does. And I, I've coached a lot yeah. of creatives throughout my career, yeah. and I, I've really come to believe that you know the whole inner critic thing is just such a bad habit, you know. And, and so, for wherever it came from, they can blame mom and dad or, or whatever, a teacher or someone that was significant in their lives. But it really boils down to realizing that, well, again, we can assign the meaning to those words and suffer, or we can change that inner dialogue. And I I know that you've worked Mm. with world-class skydivers and cyclists and triathletes and golfers. (laughs) What's the difference between them and us? And how have you coached them to turn oh, off well, that There's no critic. difference. They might
0: do it in a bigger way, <laughs> but that inner critic is just as well-trained and as ferocious as anybody else is. So I'll, I'll tell you a story about working with the, the skydive. So I told him about we get whatever we focus on. If I only focus on someone's bad behavior, then I'll get more of that. If I focus on the behavior that I like, I'll get more of that. So this is true for relationships as well. So I told him about this. He said, oh, okay, I got it. So did the next jump. Now, just out of habit, he'd be saying, oh, he didn't do this, that's not so good, you missed this bit. And you could see the, the crestfallen look on the team's faces as the negatives were being in their face. So I said, okay, this is what you need to do. And he said, okay. Anyway, he forgot, old habits. So, there was a whiteboard behind it. I drew a line down the middle, I put two columns, plus and minus. And every time he said something negative, I just made a mark on the negative column. Every time he said something positive. Now, it didn't take five minutes to be a whole bunch of negatives and one or two positives. And so he said, ah, okay, I get it. So, as human beings, we need to focus on the thing that we want from ourselves, not the things that we don't like. It's like, you know, river comes to a fork. Which way does it go? It goes where the deepest part of the, the river is. So focus on the things that you want about yourself, about other people. Whatever you focus on, that's what you get more of.
1: That's amazing, you know, to, to think of, of coaching skydivers anyway. So And that kind of brings up the, the topic of creativity <sighs> versus self-sabotage, which is kind of what we've been talking about, that inner critic, and that bad habit of sabotaging ourselves, what do you mean by the by the creativity part? Our spiritual nature and our creativity are the
0: same. You can't separate them. And part of that is, I need not think about good, bad, light, dark, etc. That darkness, the part of us that doubts ourselves, our imposter, you know, you can't do this, who do you think you are? The internal critic. So as we go towards those things that we truly want from our heart, our inner critic is right there going, what makes you think you could do this? You're no good, you are la nah, la nah, la nah, la nah, nah. So it's like the good, good wolf, bad wolf. Whichever wolf you feed, you'll get more of. Every human being is highly creative. So the more we, we blow on that ember, that small ember, no matter what, what shape or size it is, and we feed it, we, we encourage it, we love it, we give it space to grow, that it will want to become a stronger part in us. So part of this is, you know, it's uh, sometimes called the Battle of Evermore. And I think it was Led Zeppelin that had the song about the Battle of Evermore. And so this is constant. For you and I and everyone listening, it's not like a critic is going to go away, but it's how you deal with it. And it's possible to make friends with it. Right. Go, okay, I know you've got a role in my life, but let's just clarify your role and how you operate here. And you give it clear guidelines and agreements, so it will never go away. So it can still be useful. It can still point out stuff that we need to, because we cannot be delusional. So we need to have feedback. We need to be able to take criticism, critique, and make it useful rather than spiraling down and go to, oh, I'm no good. I'm, you know, all the self-esteem issues that so many people
1: have. Mm. Right. And so there's criticism within, and then there's also criticism that comes to us if we do anything significant in the yes. world, or even if we're just hanging around. Criticism is is going to happen. And I know that your new book about becoming bulletproof against criticism that came out of a mm. very painful part of your lives. Do you talk about the inner critic, or just more both. the outward criticism that's gonna <laughs> both? Okay, because we need to
0: be able to deal with the inner critic. And, and this really comes back to who we honor, whose opinion about ourselves. We honor other people or ourselves. I talk about the difference between a fact and opinion. There's a whole variety of different thing, things there. And also dealing with other people, we need to be able to keep our center. Like when we're centered, it's very hard to push someone over. Like I've done Tai Chi and Qi Gong. If someone's grounded and if someone's centered, you can't push them over. But if they're center it's very, very easy. So part of this, really, is knowing who we are, what's our true value as a human being, separate from what we do. So who we are and what we do are two separate uh. things. Otherwise, we can get so attached to the outer world being the decider of our human value. And ultimately, you know, of all the people that you'll ever meet, John, you're going to be there longer than anybody else. Same for me. So if I'm not my best friend, then I'm probably my worst enemy. And heck, that's not the kind of life to lead, in my view.
1: What are your uh, disciplines? If Do you have disciplines for meditation, prayer, contemplation?
0: What does that look like So for you? every day I do, I like to ground myself and I go through Uh, a process from alchemy, which goes back thousands and thousands of years, which is basically our creative self and our egoic self. And I make conscious, deliberate choices about what I want to honor. So, you know, what I want to honor is my true self and my purpose in life. And so I have some things which are my focus for the beginning of the day. And one of the things I've come to learn is that structure, is a wonderful thing, structure works. So if I've got a good discipline about something, that structure will get me the thing that I want. If I've got a loose structure, it's like when I, when I was learning Tai Chi and Qi Gong, You know, my master said, when you place your foot, place it down exactly like this, not like this, not like that, but like this. And the discipline of structure allows flow. So, Whatever structure I have in my life, that will give me the results that I'm getting. So if I've got loose boundaries with people, for example, then I can be taken all over the place. So if someone offers me something and I would like it, I would say yes. If someone says to me, will you do this? And I don't want to, I would say no. So I've got clear boundaries and people around me know this. The opposite is also true. If I offer something to someone, it's with a full heart. I won't do it because I'm supposed to, because I should, because of a sense of duty. I'll do it because I want to. So there's no restriction on that. And there's an honesty about it. And that's simply structure. So one of the takeaways, if you like, for your listeners is to look at the results that you're getting in life and track back to the structures that you've got that are supporting it. You know, I have worked with a lot of people with weight issues, for example. And if I was to visit their house and look at their pantry or in their fridge, I'd see a whole bunch of food that shouldn't be there. And so part of the structure might be changing those things around so it's easier for them to eat the food that's healthy, rather than the food that's gonna make them overweight, and sick, et cetera, et cetera. And that's just purely structure.
1: Very good. What's the one thing that's uh, making your life better right now? You know, I live in an
0: eco-village here in Crombin Valley. We don't have dogs and cats. We have a lot of uh, uh, wallabies and kangaroos and wildlife. We have a community where we have no fences, and we know pretty much, we know all our neighbors. It's a safe place to live. We ha- we don't have street lights, so we have a dark sky policy, so we can see the stars at night. We don't have individual rubbish bins, we take them down to a recycling center. So when my partner Julie and I walk around the village, which we do every day, often we'll say to ourselves, what are three things that we're really grateful for? and We'll pick different things. So, one of the things I'm deeply grateful for is the community that I live in, the connections that we have, the connections that we have to nature, the connections I have with my partner, with my daughter who lives in Melbourne. So it's all about the the connections that make worth living and the things that I do. I love what I do. I just absolutely, even if I was never paid a cent, I would keep on doing what I do because I love it so much I, w- I won't stop this till the day that i leave this planet and it won't be out of an airplane
1: i don't think But well that's so beautiful and and uh, we're just grateful that you joined us today on the show our show is all about finding the best in life and i think that you've given us some real clues some insights into the the depth of joy and beauty and uh, wisdom uh, a life well lived and still in the making is is there anything that you'd say to anyone listening today that maybe they're in turmoil maybe they've gone through a divorce or they've been laid off or they've lost a loved one to covid or they just find themselves in a really really difficult transition in their lives is there is there one thing that you'd offer to them we've talked about a lot of great things today but is there one place to start yeah well for me it always comes back to being connected to our heart
0: And when we're connected to our heart, and what I suggest to people is they literally put their hands on their heart and they feel the beating of their heart so they can get connected to this part of them that is their reservoir of joy, of peace. And there may be some terrible things that happen out in the world, but when you come back to your center, this is really the, the only place where we can be centered, where we can be at peace and with joy. It's in our heart. It's not in our head. It's not in our body. It's in, within our heart space. And for me, it's always, you know, when shit happens, coming back to my heart, coming back to my heart, listening to my heart, having a good conversation with my heart, having my heart be my best friend, because ultimately that's where I wanted to be. I wanted to be my best friend. So I nurture that relationship.
1: Bill e. Emery, thank you for joining me. us today on All the Best. I really enjoy that conversation. Thanks for hanging out with me today on All the Best. If you like the show, be sure to share it out with your family and friends on your social media and drop me a line at john at I would love to hear from you. I also want to invite you to jump over to my site right now to sign up for my free 31 day motivational email series. It's designed to help you go for all the best in life. If you're needing some real change, fresh motivation and inspiration, this could be just the thing to get Get you going. You can find it at johnchisholm.com, and I'll see you next time.